If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 188. The funny part of the reason why I kind of had a slower pace was because the night before at the opening party, because I'm very competitive, I was trying to do the crib boards, you know, for climbing. And I was, we were doing competitions to see who could try to complete it. And I was just having fun being competitive doing it. And I woke up the next morning and I almost like couldn't grip my paddle. I was like, I made a horrible mistake. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now, from the beginning... Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to The Art of Awesome. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. And another totally not average person and guest we have on the podcast today, we bring on Dane Jackson again to talk about breaking the four-minute barrier on the green race this year. This has been uh, a barrier that has been held up until this year, and and similar to Roger Barriston uh, breaking the four-minute mile, Dane has just broken the four-minute barrier on the green race, and we talk all about what went into that and whether or not that will be broken very often now, just like how after Roger broke it and the mindset changed that it was possible, so many people started being able to run under a four-minute mile. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not in the future, if a lot of different racers will now be breaking that four minute barrier. Uh, but either way, this is a really fun conversation. We dive into uh, the training that Dane put into it. And uh, yeah, just a lot of mindset, a lot of tactical uh, strategy and a really fun conversation. So, so let's wait no longer and jump right into it. Here is Dane Jackson. So Dane, stoked to have you back on the podcast and... Um, yeah, let's talk about your recent win at the Green Race. Sounds great. Yeah, you got uh, what everybody's calling sub four, Bre- uh, beat that record and, and kind of uh, that goal of yours. How long have you been working towards the, the sub four and explain kind of like the the goal behind the sub four mission uh, with the Green Race? <clears throat> 
Basically, obviously, green race has been happening forever. I think the first year was like 97 or something like that. So it's not uh, a new race. This uh, And it's just one of those race courses. You only get one lap a year, especially when it comes to a long boat. It's one of the hardest courses. There's so many technical moves. And four minutes is a long time to be trying to put in as fast of a race pace as possible. And over the years, as technique and design and things like that have gotten better, times were getting progressively faster. Um, back in the day, it used to be getting five minutes was like a huge feat. And then over the years, there's been a lot of people that have kind of – there's actually been a number of people that have continually pushed to where there was a new course record. Um, and in the end – for a long time, ever since it kind of started, once the numbers started to get into like the 430s and 420s, basically for the last like 10 years, it's been like, okay, getting below four minutes is something that will be possible, but it's not going to be easy. Uh, and over the years, there's been a lot of incredible runs, and there's been a few times where people got to the bottom and they were like, I think that was sub four, and it's still like a 405, especially for like Pat Keller or Eric DeGeel. Um, and as the times have gotten lower, like for me, I I really have only been like going for it to where I felt I was capable of doing it for about four years. But obviously, as soon as that became part of the discussion, it was like that's something I want to work toward. Uh, but in 2019 was like the first time that I really realized I have to like put in a lot more work than just a bit of training and hoping it goes well on race day. Yeah. So they, um, what year was it when they did when they brought uh, John Grace and and those guys brought in like. Um a data scientist or something like that to kind of crunch numbers to see if it was even possible or did, did you ever oh, see yeah, that, that study? Was, um, yeah. When they, um, I forget who did it, but he was, uh, based on my calculations and all that. Uh, I believe that was 2017 was the year that, um, cause it was the, I'd missed the year before cause I was at a friend's wedding, which no kayakers had ever put a wedding over a kayaking event, but <laughs> I digress. Um, but, uh, yeah. So it was like, Oh, 2017 is the year that Dane's going to do it. Um, and I ate it that year and got third. But yeah, um, yeah no, it's uh, that was interesting uh, data hearing out of that. Yeah, they they essentially they they brought in a data scientist and they ran because they've got all the data for whatever it is the last yeah. twenty years or, yeah. or more, and um, and they were crunching numbers between athletes and their times and their age and the right. boats that they're in, and and they took all of this data together and they kind of. Um, they came together with who was going to break the, the boat in what boat yeah. and what year they did it based on their age and right. their, their peak performance and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it was, I you. think it was 2017. I thought it was 2019, but either way it was like a couple of years yeah. back. And, um, it was and, a year that I didn't do it. That's yeah. I know. <laughs> he yeah. was incorrect, but the data, the data was cool. <laughs> yeah. It, it was super cool. And I'll, I'll try to find that and I'll put a link to it in, in the show notes or something. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, um, did that have any effect on your training or the idea that, you know, like, oh, one, you know, it could be broken? Because it was like, to me, it's it's almost like the, have you heard of the the four minute mile, the story behind that? Uh, a little bit, but not. So not the gist of it is there's this guy, Roger Bannister, or Ban I think it's Bannister. Um, I think he was a British guy and he was the first person to break the four minute mile running. Okay. Um, and the whole idea previous to that was that you, you physically couldn't break the four minute mile and that your heart would explode and that the human body, like it was, right. it was beyond capabilities for the human body and all this okay. kind of stuff. Anyway, long story short, he eventually breaks the four minute mile, thought he died because he like, anyway, mm -hmm. he, like whatever, I can whatever. Imagine. <laughs> and, uh, but, but then a month later, 
like three more people broke the four minute mile. And then right. I think within like two years, there was like 30 or 50 people that had done it, which at that point it had been, nobody had broken right. that barrier, you know, in the history of, of mankind. And so for me, I find the green race, uh, the four minute barrier, like similar where it's like, I think for a very long time, people like wondered whether it was even possible. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, all of us did. Yeah. Yeah. And now that, now that it's been broken, like, it's like, I, I wonder if like how many people break it, you know, next year and, and in years to come. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, uh, the good news is that, uh, I've, yeah, hundred percent. Someone's going to do it soon. Um, and it wasn't, if it wasn't me, there's going to be plenty of people that would do it. But, the um, I definitely look forward to, I mean, I, in the end, I, I was, I mean, if someone else had done it first, I'd be like, it's an amazing feat for sure. But I'm just stoked that I finally not only got, got it and cause I've been working towards it, but now that it's kind of like off my shoulders, I can do whatever I can to help whoever wants to do it next. Um, and it'd be interesting to see who, who wants to do it next for sure. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to ask about your training and stuff like that too. Cause I've kind of, I've seen a little bit on the, you know, just watching and paddling with you at green race. But, um, but you know, hearing that this data scientist thought that you were going to be the one to break the, the four minute barrier and all that kind of stuff. Did that push you or were you just like already like had your eyes on the prize and like, you know, focused in on this goal and like regardless what anybody else says I'm going to do it or I'm going to try like train for it or was it more of like oh somebody thinks that I can do it now maybe I should like focus harder on this no for sure I mean I don't even remember the first time like we really started discussing what sub four would look like or when that was like oh it is actually within sight because I mean uh, Andrew Holcomb had the course record for a while. I think it was like 412 or something like that all the way up until um, Mike Dawson got it in 2012 and he got a 410 and that held until 20, uh, fifth, uh, 2016 when Pat and DeGille both got like 405s. And when Pat got to the bottom of that run, I mean, you watch that run. If you were didn't time it, you'd be like, that was a sub four run. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, I got the course record in 2019, and then I broke it again in 2020 with a 402, and then I crashed in 2021, and then this year I finally got it. Um, but it was never, like, I mean, the hardest part for me is that I spent so long not winning the green race. Like, I, I felt good enough to win it since 2012, but I just kept crashing and messing it up, and I think every year... First, people were telling me like, oh, this is your year to win. And and obviously every year I would do my best to win. And then I just never quite worked out whether it was by a tie or I crashed or whatever it was. So I didn't even win my first green race until 2018. But I think once, like, I think round then was like, okay. Does, does that include, does that include the ties? Or is that like the, the no, first no, time that you're no, like yeah. definitively won? <laughs> yeah, definitely won. Because I, I tied in 2014 and then they broke the tie, which people thought it wasn't possible to tie, but me and Isaac Levinson tied. They broke the tie with one of the stopwatches. And then in 2015, I, I tied again with the 413 with Eric DeGill. They decided not to break that tie that year. We uh, just shared first place. Um, but it wasn't until 2018 that I finally like was got the win. And I think that helped because I'd always wanted to win Green Race. And then just kind of getting that one out of the way, I could really focus on training harder, got the win out of the way. Now I can really focus on looking into sub four because I, I had thought about like 2018, I was, I, every year at Green Knights, I train as much as I can, do 15 laps on Gorilla, the slides, whatever it is. Um, but I think getting that win out of the way in 2018, it was like, okay, now I can really start to focus on on sub four and what that looks like. Uh, in 2019, it was when I really well, started to like really go for like try to figure out what it was it's going to take because 
it was like clear that just paddling as hard as you can, which is the mistake I'd made a bunch was paddling too hard and then start crashing toward the bottom. So mm-hmm. once, uh, once I realized that wasn't going to be the key to getting sub four, I was like, okay, I need to figure out a different, figure out what it is that's stopping it from happening. So in, in saying that, like paddling as hard as you can being, uh, some of your past issues, um, what is your like effort percentage of like, how hard are you going to, to have your, your best success rate in the sense that like, so for me personally, I'm, I, you know, I, I aim for like a, like an 80%. If right. I go 80%, yeah. th- that's going to be my fastest time right. because if I go a hundred percent, I'm going to crash somewhere right. and I've done that or I'm going to like burn out my energy or like whatever happens. And I've done it many, many times. Um, and I remember, remember like talking to Jess Fox about this specific thing and she right. was the same where she's like, yeah, you know, I'm like in my head, I'm like at 110%, but physically I'm probably, and I think she was like 90 or 95. Like she was definitely, <clears throat> she was higher than I was like physically, but, um, right. but, uh, lower than like a lot of her peers would, would be all about like saying, you know, go at 110% out there. So what kind of like physical, you know, rate are you thinking that you're going when you're pushing out there? Well, the biggest problem is that I, for a while, so basically I could, I can almost like go year by year where that started to feel different. But in my head, the, a big factor in why this year went well was I, well, first of all, there's a few things that people have, like, it's not as simple as the lines. There's 50 million variables Mm -hmm. that needed to go into like that one day. And the biggest, biggest issue has always been water level because it's either, there's two problems that would always happen. One, it's probably been about four years, maybe five years. Maybe I'm being a little dramatic, but it feels like a very long time since we've actually had consistent levels leading up to Saturday. So we're basically, well, sometimes we'll have 30 inches on the Thursday before the race and we never mm-hmm. know what it's going to be on Saturday or it's super dry and we end up having super low water leading up to the race and then it's a little higher in race day or it's the opposite. It's, it, we've had some good flow, but then it's low on Saturday. So I think the biggest issue for a long time is that you can train at during the week if you have water, but that doesn't mean that's what you're going to have on Saturday. And, and the slightest change can make such a big difference on that race court. If that was a short boat race course, you probably wouldn't notice that much. But with long boat, just the slightest bit of water change can be a massive difference on, on nailing the line. Um, just paddling long boat alone is incredibly difficult on that course. But as soon as you add half an inch to an inch, that can be the difference between being able to nail something like the slides or the speed trap or whatever it is. So the water levels alone were such a big factor. And um, it's just that can be such a, a tough thing to deal with because you never know what you're going to have on Saturday. Um, and that was one of the fortunate things that we had this year that due to the low water in the southeast uh they actually, John and those guys, I don't know how they did it, but they got the dam to give us three days of water before the race. So we were actually able to get consistent training on race level, which was a great level around 10 inches. And then Saturday, I didn't actually end up looking at the gauge, which was a good thing, but it actually ended up being a little higher, although I didn't know. But the good news was I had three days of like, this is what it's going to be on race day. So you can actually work on the lines instead of having to worry about like, oh, what, is it going to be different? And then once you go past that, you really had to like figure out... Um, uh, but for me, once you get water level out of the way, when it comes to actually pacing in 2018, up until 2018, I pretty much, 2018 is probably the first year that I didn't paddle as hard as I could, especially at the top of the course. Every year up until like basically 2015, um, like 14, 15, 17, I feel like I started paddling too hard. In 2017, I paddled as hard as I could and then I already started crashing at GoLab. Um, so I think 
I started to realize I needed to hold back on how hard I'm actually paddling. And then in 2018, I finally like held back on the pace. It wasn't an amazing run. It was like 4.10. But because I kind of held back, I was able to have a decent run down the whole course. And then once I got that out of the way, I was like, okay, I really got to figure out what my pacing is. And usually... I would say for the sub four run, I probably was more like an 80%, 75%. Um, it, I'm still working hard and I'm putting in good strokes. But over the years, I started to realize with, when it comes to something like a longboat, one thing that's actually crazy is you actually stay at like getting up to speed. You get some big strokes in, but keeping a longboat at top speed really doesn't take that much effort. So when you start to learn things like that, you realize that you don't want to go 100% too much or else you get super tired and when you get tired long boats are the hardest thing in the world and i made that mistake for a long time um so yeah it's just uh there's a lot of variables when it comes to it yeah and you're like you're <clears throat> when you, when you go 100 percent, sometimes you're just like you're sprinting into mistakes do you know right. what i mean like you're you're hitting eddy lines or you're hitting waves or or rocks yeah. or whatever and and so I, that's when I kind of figured out like, okay, if I take this down to like an 80% energy level, I'm way more likely to have better strokes, to be more online, to be more focused, and then, you know, conserve that energy the whole way through too, yeah. versus like be dead online and super, you know, fast in the top half. And then you just fall apart because you've got nothing left in the, in the tank. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the biggest problem with the uh, green race is that, you know, some races you get tired and get away with it short, but when it comes to long boat on the green race, you can get through, you know, to Swix or go left halfway through the course. And even if you're tired, you can still nail the line. But as soon as you get to gorilla down, if you are tired at all and you get lazy at all and you hold back because you're tired, long boat, just so unforgiving. It's like, if you're the slightest, if you just barely don't take that sweep stroke enough, you get lazy. That's, it's just so easy to lose the control and then just crash and i've done that numerous times so it's uh it's a combination but the biggest problem is that for the longest time i didn't hold i paddled way too hard towards the top of the course because uh i thought that it was going to take paddling as hard as you could and nailing the lines to do sub four which up until i really started to dig into it was it just seemed like the right way to do it just paddle as hard as you can and and nail the lines and try not to get lazy but that always led to me crashing Mm -hmm. i think it was Correct me if I'm wrong, because your memory is way better than mine. Was it 2019 when I was up there training with you, and and uh, and you you were really, or maybe it was even 2018 when you were just like so analytical about 2019 video, video review and like doing stopwatch splits on every single rapid, and not just your video review, but like Pat Keller's and yeah. Andrew Holcomb's, and and just every pretty much every winning run ever that's ever been done. You had like breaking each each person, each run, each video, and then all of your runs down by the rapid and try to figure out exactly like how fast you could be between like this rock and that rock between so many people and so many runs. Yeah. It was, uh, in 2019 was the year when I first, and then, and I wouldn't have been able to do sub four if I didn't start doing that because in 2019 was the, like 2018, I finally got the win and I actually had, it probably helped with the win because I still I paddled didn't paddle as hard in 2018. But the funny part is the reason why I kind of had a slower pace was because the night before at the opening party because I'm very competitive. I was trying to do the crib boards, you know, for climbing. Yeah, and I, we were doing competitions <laughs> to see who could try to complete it, and I was just having fun being competitive doing it. I woke up the next morning and I almost like couldn't grip my paddle. I was like I made a horrible mistake. But luckily I I still ended up winning, got a 410, and then but then I realized I was like okay, it's clear that we're just 
just letting it be, just training and just trying to do it as it seems wasn't going to work. So in 2019, I was like, okay, let's like really, and even before I probably that summer, I was like, okay, let's really think about this and how we can, where, where it is that we're making the mistakes. Cause the, what happened is in 2019, I start, I broke down, I downloaded every race run I could find from my runs to Pat's to Isaac to, to Gil. I have all those runs together, started a spreadsheet. And what I started doing is, you know, when you're training for the race, you can be like, oh, I had an okay gorilla, but I kind of plugged it, but that's okay. Or I had a, I did pretty good up top or I felt smooth up top. So that's fine. I'm just going to focus on the big moves like the slide. And then when I started breaking it down in 2019, it blew my mind because I started First, I had set it set it up into three sections, where it was the race start to the little pool above Brew for Consequence, and then Brew for Consequence to just below Chiefs, and then Chiefs to the finish. So I split it into three sections, and I broke down every race course, like or sorry, every race run from previous, like myself, Pat, and all them, timed those sections, and then I was like, okay, so this year was the fastest there, this year was the fastest here, and I started to get a little bit like surprised. I was like, okay, I thought this run was faster than the other, but I guess not. But then once I realized that, I was like, okay, maybe I need to take this one step further and be like, where is it we're actually losing time? And I started breaking down pretty much everything you could think of from the race start to to the end of the flat water, from hitting the first rocket Frankenstein to landing the booth. Like every little section that could possibly have a, a little bit of time saved, I broke down the entire course all the way top to bottom to the point that I knew exactly where I could save half a second from entering the notch to the speed um, to um, hitting the pad at Gorilla. Like there's, uh, and what I started to realize is that when you do a four-minute course, especially in a long boat, and you have a pretty good, like just decent run, you feel good about it, but you don't realize where you're losing a lot of time. And you so think I, there's a half second between the notch and the pad at Gorilla? There is. Yeah, you can. Um, and the the way it comes down to is that. Um, what I started to realize when I started breaking everything down was that it wasn't about because when it comes to longboat training, it's either you feel pretty good or you just don't have a good line. You either spin out or plug or something. But then when I realized when I started breaking it down, I was like, it wasn't about the crash versus making it work. It was the good versus great to where it's like you had a good line on something versus nailing and like putting in all the effort to have some form of better line. To the point that, like, I actually have a, a note, uh, uh, have a note that has it broken down where the, every single little move on the river, it's not, um, it's how much time you can save at each spot. And to the point, like I said, like literally going through the notch to hitting your bow at the pad, there is a half second to be saved there alone. And that's, you can lose more time, maybe make up time, but it's like by once I started to realize that in places from, like I said, the first pool or going through the slot at Frankenstein or, um, literally landing the the booth above booth or or after booth or consequence, getting to hot left. So like, like you don't think about all those little moves because you're just focused on the big rapid. Then when I started to break that down, I started to realize where all the time was being saved. And by doing that, I in 2019 I started lapping every rapid and every little line I could, and realized that all the time being saved was not where you expected it because you always focused on the big move. Um, and by, by doing that, I really started to notice where all that time could be saved and where it was really important to not get lazy at all. Yeah. You, you also <clears throat> had one of like one of the fastest runs through and like skips through the speed trap right below yeah. gorilla this year. Um, was that faster than like all the splits and all the stuff that you had timed or was that exactly just like, like what you were planning for? Uh, well, so the biggest problem is that 
uh, and one thing that was a big deal leading up until the race this year was that there's one really big problem with when it comes to water levels is that everything from the race start to Gorilla, uh, particularly to Boofer Consequence, that stuff goes so much better at higher water because that extra flow saves some time. Mm-hmm. And But the problem is from go left down or Swix down, everything goes so much better at low water because you can keep your bow drier over the slides, particularly gorilla because when the water is lower if you drop your bow slightly left on gorilla there's like a rhythm that starts that gets your bow over the speed trap but when it's high water that rhythm doesn't happen and so it's really hard to get over top of speed trap at higher water and the slides get a lot harder so it became this like vicious like do i want high water to save the time up top um but make the slides harder or do i want low water paddle harder up top and then hopefully the slides and gorilla go better so that was the, the biggest struggle i had over the over the years once I started breaking it down. And in 2020, we finally got the higher water, but I didn't nail Gorilla, so I got like a 402. But then in 2021, it was low water, so I tried to paddle as hard as I could up top to make up, because it's actually about three seconds that you lose just to get the boofer consequence, pretty much consistently the difference between eight inches and 10 inches. Wow. And three seconds is a big deal first. That's the difference between sub four and not. So I tried paddling really hard, but then I got really lazy. I, I messed up Gorilla, the slide, because I was just so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big deal. But like this year when it was like, okay, it looks like we actually have the right water level. Um, but when it came to Gorilla this year, uh, I was super stoked that once I came down and then it didn't happen like I normally have it happen. But normally when you land a little farther left and you get your right knee up, that right to left curler can like lift your bow up. Um, and that happened this year. And that definitely was the game changer. If I had plugged speed trap, I obviously wouldn't have gotten sub four. So that was definitely a big help. But what sucks is that I got to the bottom and it didn't feel like a sub four run because I had nailed Gorilla and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the fastest Gorilla I've ever had. Which one thing that's also when you start breaking down the course that got a little sad, even when you skip Gorilla like I just did in this year, like you don't save as much time as you think from Gorilla to the slides. It's faster than plugging. But that when I started to realize like the skip versus like just carrying your speed wasn't, it was like a second and a half or something. I haven't broken down this year yet, but uh, when I got to the bottom, I was like, I nailed Gorilla, the fastest Gorilla I've ever had. But there were a few things throughout the whole course. I was like, I think those are a quarter, half a second added up. And it's, I, I thought it was going to be a four flat or a 401. I definitely wasn't expecting 358. Um, but that fast, the Gorilla, I mean, that was everything for sure. So you got to the finish and had your fastest run you've ever had. And you still didn't think you... Oh, had... no. 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 Because oh, the cool thing is that this year... Now, were you bummed? Like, no, it wasn't sad. I just, I got to the bottom. It was like a, it wasn't like I was sad. I wasn't like doing like the crazy roar because I wasn't like, I was stoked because I, I, but the problem is by knowing where every half second you can save, you know exactly where you're losing time. And I didn't have the best like boo for consequence. I didn't have the best Frankenstein uh, in the, the little slot. Um, I swung wide in like one or two spot. Oh, I plugged power slide, which is always like the hardest one. But I carried my speed, but I still plugged it, even though I finally like figured out a way to keep my bow dry. So it was, um, it was a combination of things where I was stoked to come through and, and have what felt like the most like top to bottom great run but it felt to me like it was probably going to be like a 4 or 4 or 1 but it was the it was fun getting to the bottom feeling more like I don't know rather than like you know 2021 where you crash and you know you didn't do it um and the other cool part about this year of, of all the years that have it happen uh instead of me starting at high noon going first because I won the year before I went 27th for the 27th <clears throat> year so I I got to come into like having everybody down there so that was a lot of fun I didn't understand that <laughs> and uh, so I was super confused cuz Emily and I and the kids we're all watching it with the live stream 
and we we signed on like two minutes late because for, for whatever reason it took us longer right. to sign on and uh and you know, i don't even know what number of racer was going like whether it was the fourth or something like that but we're like oh i missed dane and then out <laughs> of the blue you just come and we're like that's so weird dane's yeah. usually like first to go yeah. um and so i didn't realize that they put you at 27th yeah. because of the 27th well year. they also i mean um not like and john and everyone was like you know, if you're hiking in, you get stuck behind the trail, you want to see the top 10 paddlers go. Mm-hmm. Normally you miss them because it's 12 to 12, 10, where by doing it flip from 27th on just gave those that wanted to see the fastest people from the year before just a little more time to finish the trail and get in and watch. So um, who, who were the, the first 27 then? Uh, I mean, um, uh, Toe Joe started it off. Joe Todd. Okay. So, um, so they still had top people go first. Yeah. It so was it just, just went flip. Like, so they just flipped the top 27 basically. So it's like 27th from the year oh, before I went first. Okay. Okay. Um, okay because that was it. my concern when I first heard it. I was confused right. as well. I was like, I'm, if I go 27th, I'm going to run into people, but right, right, they right. did. It's, it was 27th through first from the year before. Just flipped. Just flipped. And then they gave me a two minute gap when it was my turn to go. So Got we it. made sure that wasn't going to possibly have yeah. any chance of catching someone. So it, it worked out, but it was definitely a, I was surprised by it at first, but yeah. I, I once they explained it to me, I was like, "Oh, that's um, that works for me," and I, I get the idea for sure. And it was great because I had got to have people at the bottom when I came through, which I haven't had in years. Yeah, yeah that that was the other funny thing too. Watching it on the live stream is that there's a bit of a gap then, obviously, because they gave yeah. you a two minute gap. Um, but the announcers were like, "Oh, Dane must have screwed up yeah. because because he's coming <laughs> in so much about slower." That. And and I was looking and I was like, "What well, doesn't look like he screwed up? Like <laughs> looks like he's got a good pace going." And yeah. then and then when you came like flying through um gorilla and speed trap i was like oh this this could be it like that was definitely the fastest speed trap i'd ever seen um so anyway it was it was pretty incredible to watch for sure Mm. i'm stoked everybody was obviously super stoked for you um i've got two two questions for you and then and then we'll kind of head on out of here but um one you had just another incredible year. I feel like I talked to you about this. Like every, every year is like just another incredible year. You won the world championships this year. You won the world cup this year. Uh, you won, you won green race and sub four. Um, what was, what was, uh, more exciting for you? Obviously you, you've won green race several times. You've been aiming for sub four. You've won the world championships several times, but being that you had, I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but at the world championships this year, you got COVID right before and you had zero training until the, the day of the event. The first, like first round was the first day you even were allowed to get into the water and on the course. Um, and then you kind of like worked your way up through the rounds and then obviously had a, had a phenomenal run, uh, and won the world championships. What was more exciting and more of like, uh, a shock for you winning the world championships with zero training and like coming off of COVID or uh, getting sub four at green race this year? Uh, that's hard to say because I um, obviously am stoked on both of them. And this has been a, a wild year. I think the um, both were two of the best moments I've had because I mean, I've been competing my entire life and I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of wins and things like that. So I'm obviously stoked to win. And when I don't win, I'm stoked for whoever did better that day. Um, but I think the, the greatest part about the world championship was because one, I was already only going to get a week of training and then I got COVID and I had to quarantine. So I only got my first session the morning before or the day before the event. Um, and it's a very tricky feature. And 
not only that, a lot of people have been training there for a year, two years, or a month beforehand, whatever it was. Yeah, 10 years, whatever. So I already was going into that world championship ready to work as hard as I could to do as well as I could. But then once I had COVID and I was like, I'm only getting one day before, I was like, I'm going to train as hard as I can when they let me on the water and compete and and if i keep making it through each round that's that's great and it was it was kind of fun because normally when i go to world championships i feel really good about getting you know top three so this was a different year where i just was able to kind of like just enjoy the whole i always enjoy it but it was even more relaxing because it was like i'm just trying to make it through each round and do the best i could so it made the whole thing just like oh i made it through another round okay i get a little more training let's go but then once to get into finals, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in finals. It's like, this is sick. And then I was like, I just really hope I, I get a medal. I'm going to do my best to win. But these guys are so good. And I'm I'm finally figuring out the ride. And then once I was able to put it together on my third ride, that was not what I expected. And I was fully ready for any of those guys to lay down one of the rides they were capable of and beat me. But I was able to stay on top. And that was a, a wild experience because it was normally, you know, I, I love winning a world championship. And I'm always stoked when it happened. Uh, but I usually train as hard as I can to feel like I'm at that, you know, top two, top three spot. Whereas this one, I was ready for anything and still be able to come out of top. It was awesome. And then uh, green race for me, I mean, normally when I have something in my head that I want to go do or or even an idea that pops in, it really rarely, you know, maybe it'll be that year, maybe it'll be the following year. But this was the first thing I've been like really working towards. And all year long, I'm always like, oh, it's green race again, especially when you're talking about the fact you only get one run a year. So when it's like, it was one of the few things I like constantly like obsessing over and constantly putting in the work and things like that. Even when, you know, it's early in the year, I'm like, okay, we're like, what do I need to be doing different? And for the longest time, I was like, I think I need to make a different boat. I was always just like, just obsessing over it. So to, to, be going crazy all day long, wondering if it was a four minute or four or one. And then to find out it's a sub four, it was just like this massive release in Stoke. So two of the best moments that I've had for sure, because they're both like, you just, I didn't know what to expect. And yeah, great. Cool to have both of them in the same year. That's awesome. <clears throat> so you're, you're about to turn 30 next year, man. You're, you're getting old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're pretty much best o- years to come over the hill. Yeah. Um, what, uh, after having just a, a phenomenal year that you just had, achieving some incredible goals, do you have anything like going into this next year into 2023 where you're like, okay, here's like my new goal and focus? Or is it kind of just like, oh, you know, we'll see how it goes or the world championships or like what's next for you coming up uh, for 2023? Uh, I mean, obviously turning 30, I, I feel like I'm only getting into the best years. Um, all this all, 29 years, it's been training to become 30, you know? Yeah, so, I'm, 30, yeah, I'm yeah. 34. So yeah. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. yeah. yeah the <laughs> best years yet to come. Um, I'm excited for 30. No, it's going to be great. I, uh, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun things to try to come for sure. 2023 is going to be a really fun year, a lot of fun ideas and, and big projects that I'm trying to do. And then really just moving forward, just trying to constantly just find new things to go to or different, uh, different things to achieve. And I think 2023 is going to be a really fun year for it. Um, and in the end, like I'm stoked on the few goals this year, but um, there's always that just opens up room for new goals to focus on. So, and the cool thing is, is that now that I've won Nottingham, I was, uh, I'm stoked that I pulled it off. But I was definitely like, you know, I was fully ready for any of those guys that were epic to to kick my ass there because it's they're all so good there. Uh, but I was expecting like, okay, I'll do the best I can there and and hopefully be able to come out on the top. But I was ready for anything. And then Columbus, I would have a lot more time to train because it was in the U.S. So I was like, okay, that will be the world championship that I hopefully can get my fourth win. But now that I won Nottingham, I'm up to four wins for senior men. And so now this is the opportunity to try to um, beat my dad's record next year in Columbus. So now it's like even more exciting for the next world championships because I can go for five. 
Yeah, and I love how you don't even count all your other world championship wins. No. It's like I only count the senior men in freestyle. That's yeah. it. Like yeah. I don't count all these other world yeah. championship titles. Yada yada yada. That's super funny. Um, final question for you, Dane. Just because uh, I didn't even think about this in, until you just kind of mentioned something and spurred an idea. But we're moving into 2023. Um, what do you do? Do you have any sort of um, kind of blueprint for goal setting or how do you set your goals like is it just like an idea is it just like oh that would be a cool thing to do or like yeah do you kind of just walk us through a little bit of like your goal setting or like how you or like are your kayak goals part of your like new year's resolutions or just any of that kind of thing uh i think i probably uh i usually just have like things that i'd like to do but i wouldn't say that i'm like like there's very few things like like sub four is one of the one of those few things i was like i'm obsessing like i just have to make that happen whereas you know like the world champions i haven't been saying like i need to be five-time world champion my whole life like i'll be stoked when i make it happen or if i make it happen well what i'm gonna train to make it happen but um I'm gonna do everything i can to make it happen but uh it's it's uh it's more as things i think because i do every discipline from racing to freestyle to waterfalls to expeditions i think uh everything kind of comes at a natural progression like when i spend a little bit more time doing uh um racing i i start to figure out better technique to be a smoother paddler which bleeds into my you know river running and expedition or running the hardest white water um and things usually i think the reason why i'm able to do a lot of things i do is things only come as they naturally become ideas for me like i didn't say like for example like i i had always said that I hated downriver freestyle for the longest time because I'd seen <laughs> for the longest time I always said I hate downriver freestyle because it was just uh, um, like I saw I was always sick to see the people that did it and for the longest time you know seeing Rush and Yule that or those guys back in the riot days like seeing downriver freestyle was always really sick but for a lot of it um, it to me always started looked a little more like kind of just like huck and pray didn't always feel like the most amount of control especially when it comes to like bigger waterfalls and it Fair always enough. just seemed to to open up the potential to get hurt and big waterfalls are already dangerous enough on their own so i was like i don't know that i really like downward freestyle in that sense and I, was, I had done some free wheels i've been doing free wheels since i was like nine years old but like on smaller stuff but then once, you know, and you'll kind of open up the technique for like the Cobra flip. And we started doing that at Rock Island and then started working on Cobra flips more. And, and then actually the first time I really started to feel like maybe we actually can start to figure out this control stuff was like in 2018 when I did a back free wheel side chick in Mexico. Like I started to, as I got better at freestyle, as I did these other things, I started to realize that I started to learn techniques that meant that I could envision being in control when doing downward freestyle. And from there, that's from that moment and those like thoughts I've been able to be like, okay, I can actually have control and do this right and practice and do it. And that's why I felt comfortable doing something like, you know, the back free wall off to Haley. So I think my goals kind of come to me as like a natural, like, okay, I was doing this other thing and it hit me that I'm starting to figure out this technique that might work over here to do this other thing. And, uh, um, so I think by having that natural flow of like doing one thing in, um, gets me fired up or gets me able to like wrap my mind about doing this other thing i'm able to weave in between all the different disciplines and and do it when it feels safest and rightest and and just the most natural for me rather than like if i had said eight years ago i want to back for you all the biggest waterfall that's been done 
maybe I wouldn't have been ready for it and done it too early and stupidly and gotten hurt and, and taking backwards instead of moving forward. So I think that's why my goals kind of come very naturally. I'm able to do them fast, um, quickly because I flow in between all of them a lot differently than I think rather than just being like, I'm going to go do this one crazy thing in three years time. Awesome. I absolutely love that. And, uh, makes me want to rethink some of my goals for, for, <laughs> for 2023 and be like, Oh, maybe, maybe I should just like, you know, I don't know, let it flow a little bit more than force <laughs> things. Um, Dane, thanks so much for joining me. This has been awesome. Yeah, I, uh, wish you the absolute best, uh, for 2023 and, uh, hopefully I'll be by your side and get to paddle with you, uh, throughout a lot of it. Sounds great. And yeah, this has been awesome. So cheers, thanks, buddy. Bud. Thanks. And for everybody else out there, uh, I guess I should sign off uh, for you guys properly. So if you guys got vol- uh, if you guys got any value out of this, uh, I hope you did. I highly encourage you guys to uh, please leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Share it out with a friend or family member, anybody that you think uh, might need to hear this story, learn from Dane's lessons. And yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I am Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all a truly awesome day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.